afternoon. All right. Sounded so good back here with Larry Dunn. So much fun. Last time we're together again to finish this thing out right. So thanks again, Larry, for spending the time and joining me again. My pleasure. When we last left off our exciting episode, uh, our hero was talking about that's the way of the world. And so we're going to uh, move it on to a little bit of gratitude right now and keep it moving. Um, one of my favorite, maybe my favorite live record of all time. I mean, when this thing came out, I could not listen to it enough. It's got the three sides live and one uh, studio side and included, uh, of course, sing a song, smash hit on the studio part. And uh, at least until uh, maybe up until your solo record, the definitive version of Reasons uh, live and um, just great stuff. So um, what what was behind releasing this? Did you have pressure from the label to come back really quick? Or was it just that things were so good you had to get it out? Uh, actually, I don't know. I was just like, we're going to record. And I'm like, cool, I'm there. But, you know, more likely it was just because, you know, we were, it was, um, we were on such a roll, you know. And it was just like... Uh, the perfect thing to do because we were hot you know playing together every night you know city after city going up to overseas and what have you so it you know it was perfect you know they had the recording Massenberg would come out uh with the recording truck outside and uh, it was great did you know at the time that a live record was in the in the works or were you just recording the record or no, it was it was uh, you know of course to to release as a live a live album. And then the studio tracks were those cut in the same sessions as that sort of the world stuff, or were those new sessions or what? Those were new sessions. Those were actually cut, you know, uh, after we completed the tour as an addendum to the live album, which was you know brilliant. It was a great great idea. I don't even know. I'm sure it was Maurice's idea. I, I would imagine uh, maybe management poked at him a little bit, but I, more likely it was just, you know, like I said, a natural progress at that point. Did you feel like the uh, selections on there were very representative of what the tour and show was like at that time? Absolutely. You know, I remember when uh, the first night when it came out and they played it on, uh, I don't know, it was uh, Cute 102 or some station. And uh, I was living in an apartment at that time. And I remember, you know, just, you know, you turn the lights down and it came, then they played the entire uh, album on the radio. And I heard the, you know, uh, Perry Perry Jones opening. Earth, wind, you know, and uh, it, it was on. And when it got to uh, Sun Goddess, you know, with my solo and stuff, I'm like, yeah, it was, it was on. And then, Right after that, of course, the phone starts lighting up. Hey, man, that's wonderful. I, said, I agree with every word. <laughs> well, it's just the uh, versions were not only fantastic with the energy, but the recording quality was great, um, you know, the fidelity. And, um, you know, how did Sing a Song come about? Was that another one where it just kind of happened quickly, or did it take a while? You know what? Uh, I believe uh, Al McKay and Maurice wrote that. Uh, did Ali Willis write the world lyrics on that? I don't, I don't remember. I don't have it in front of me. It's only credited to uh, Maurice and Al. Okay. So I guess uh, uh, Maurice must have wrote the lyrics. And uh, we just kind of, you know, Al had the, had the, uh, of course, the rhythm and, and the choral pro uh, progression. And we kind of, you know, went over in the studio and laid the track. And then I remember uh, after one of the takes, as I was walking away from the, from the roads, I was standing up and I still was playing, whatever, nonsense. And when I heard it on the radio, Maurice actually kept that. And I was like, oh, man, I was just messing around. He was like, and? 
And uh, I grew to love it. But when I first heard it, I'm like, no, I was just messing around. So, oh, it definitely adds whatever. Definitely adds to it right before the uh, the horns really come in hard again. Right. Yeah. But you know that was on the what I'm talking about was on the fade. You know, as as it was fading, and I I don't know I just I was just you know, jerking around, and okay. um, like I said, as in as now it's history be it good or be it bad and um i didn't really like the record i don't know why but it was so much fun to do live because when i you know first heard the record maybe because i still had that bad taste in my mouth about me walking away from the roads and clowning mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, apparently quite a few people do like it and like i said it was really really i really fell in love with it when we when we played it live yeah, well, the studio version, I mean, could you understand at the time what Maurice was saying? <laughs> it's, it's tough. Um, you know what is funny? I, I told my band when I started doing some of the Larry Dunn's anthology of Earth, Wind, and Fire, that I said I was there, you know, like 12 years, whatever. And half the time, I didn't know what they were saying. <laughs> because most of the stuff that I wrote was music, not the lyrics, minus, you know, a couple of things like uh, Be Ever Wonderful. Uh, I'm not Be Ever Wonderful, but See the Light, but almost everything else. I didn't really get heavy into lyrics until after I left Earth When the Fire and started writing with Louisa. But I love now, the stuff. What, what, what lyric are you talking about in there? Oh, just the verses, I mean, are just, it's hard to understand. Some of what he's saying uh, is just the only part of it I really remember is when you feel down and out, sing a yeah. song, it'll make your day. <laughs> you will you will learn to shout. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Sing a song, it'll make a way. Sometimes it's hard to tell. Is it sometimes? Was that what, what was that was that it? What was next? Yeah, I don't know. He starts running them together, but it's just the sound. You know, the sound was so cool. So, well, you know, good old Massenberg, the genius of George Massenberg. Mm. Were there ever times where, were there ever times where you laid something down and then he got his hands on it, and you were just kind of floored by how it had changed? Yeah. Well, you know what, uh, songs like. Jupiter, you know, I wrote the music with that for that. Me and Maurice and I think Philip and them wrote the, the lyrics. Maurice was over the lyrics, I believe. And but I have my buddy Michael Hudson that uh, I grew up with since I was two years old in Denver. And after we, you know, cut the basic tracks, you know, I get out of the studio and sometimes I go by his pad and just cool out, relax, and I play the tracks. And he said, "Wow." That's almost like rock and roll, man. He said, it's just so raw. But, you know, after a few years of him being able to hear, privileged to hear the basic track before the vocals and all that stuff, but he kind of he kind of knew. He said, well, I know when Maurice gets done with it, it's not going to be that raw like that. And, of course, it wasn't, you know, but it's, it had a good spit shine on it, so it, it worked, obviously. Was there anything on um, the studio tracks from Gratitude that you particularly, you know, liked if you didn't like singing a song so much? Uh, everything. I mean, I, I remember Skip Scarborough when I composed uh, Can I Love. Mm -hmm. And I remember I took the cassette home that night and got in the, in the studio just me and messing around on the Fender Rose. And I was so excited the next morning to go to the studio. And, and Mr. Stemmy, hey, Charles, Charles, let me show you the voices I came up with. And it was like, uh, of course, he had the...
hair stuff. And he was like, yeah, boy, you done good. <laughs> and that was another feather in my cap. And Mr. Stephanie said, I done good. I did good. I done good. Larry done, done good. That was a good flow to it. Yes. That, that was, that, yeah, that was uh, everybody. I loved, loved that, that tune. And then what was the other ones? Uh, Celebrate. Other ones? Um, title oh, yeah. track. Yeah, because I was part writers on that. And then the last one was, wait, don't tell me. Celebrate. Okay, tell me. Sunshine? Sunshine. Yeah. Yeah, there was, like I said, it was, it was a brilliant album. I, I would run into people, you know, in the, on, in the driving by in the cars, or we'd roll down the window, or, or people in the grocery store or whatever. And uh, year, years later, and they're like, man, I'm on my second gratitude because I wore the first one out. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that was a, uh, a real uh, tentpole for Earth, Wind, and Fire, doing a live album like that. And, and it just like B. Lloyd Taylor used to say when I recorded his voice and then whatever he'd hear from, in my little studio, eight track, he'd go, man, you, you, your sound is so crispy, crunchy. And, uh, you know, so I, a lot of that I, I did learn from Massenberg, you know, because he, 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 came, he came by my studio a couple of times, a little eight-track studio. Um, I had a big room built like a dodo and had an eight-track machine in there. And it was actually a TIAC. And I ran into the guys from TIAC at uh, the NAM show. And there's some talk about uh, they might want to do a story on me. So that was really cool. But Massenberg came by and he's like, hey, man, I love you. But man, I love the sound you're getting. And especially your bass sound. Of, oh, oh, he's like, no, man, I'm not, I'm not bullcrapping you. <laughs> he said, you know, it's, it's not what you have. It's what you do with it. And, uh, you know, I always tell people when I do lectures or whatever that 90%, if not 99% of whatever it is you do, from being a doctor to whatever, uh, is concept. Concept is everything. A lot of groups and acts put out live records in the seventies, but I don't. I think most of them. It was more common with the rock acts, you know, that were in that, you know, and not as many R and B or pop black acts put out live records. Of course, there's some exceptions, but I think the fact that Earth Wind and Fire did it and did it so well, maybe the best, and I think that that helped really add to the growing mythology of Earth, Wind & Fire is this very special, special group. Absolutely. And I think uh, the thing that was so great about it is that with the, uh, you know, just the, the tightness and the talent and the compositions with the, with the band and the, and the whole live show uh, being so intense you know, with the, like I said, the phase on with the choreography and Doug Henning with the magic stuff and uh, Bill Whitten with the outfits. I mean, just everything. And uh, and again, with the genius of uh, Massenburg, that everything was just recorded so well and mixed so well that I think people who had never seen us live could feel that energy in the in the in the high level that the whole thing was actually on and i believe a lot of people that had not ever seen us live after hearing gratitude were like i want to go oh yeah and so that that was it was a win-win situation well i'm very uh i have a lot of gratitude for that record so um in in uh hindsight or uh, retroactively, I thank you for all these years uh, since since it's making. Um, thank, thank you. Like I always tell people, I said, look, if it wasn't for the people who enjoy your art and support you, we'd be a legend in our own mind. <laughs> and that's why I would always take time. And Leonard Smith, the road manager, was and Reese would be like, "Go get Larry." Go get, where's Larry? Because I, you know, I would, they're already in the, in the car and I'm still out there signing the people's stuff. Like, go get Larry, go get Larry. 
but uh, no, I, mean, I always, uh, you know, have a uh, reverence and a, a thankful spirit towards those who, who listen and who, who buy it. Well, that is a good uh, move into spirit since you hey. brought that up. So um, the next record, of course, was this one. And um, some changes happen within the ranks uh, related to this record. Um, just so uh, folks viewing uh, are up to speed. It had Getaway, let off with Getaway was, I think, the lead single, an amazing track, another milestone. On Your Face, fantastic track, Saturday Night, Imagination. Um, just another really great record. So what happened around this record, Larry? Well, that was... Uh... It was great, but it was, it was rough because in the middle of that is when Charles Stephanie passed away, right in the middle. Because I actually uh, had written the music for this song and I gave it to Maurice about three years later. He called me and told me that, uh, remember that song you gave me? I said, I gave you a few. He's like, well, I wrote lyrics to it, and you know, I'm gonna use it for the new album. I call it Spirit. I'm like, hey, cool, great, and uh, it was deep because the night that I finished that was just the rose, and you know, let's see. Beautiful. I finished it, and you know, back in the day, it didn't matter. We were teenagers, basically, and cats would stop by two in the morning. Hey, what's up? What's up? Fortunately for you, I am so. But I got really down, and I didn't, you know, I, I didn't get it because most people, even you know, know I could be a goofball, and I just I couldn't figure it out. And three years later, that's when Maurice called me and said, "I'm going to use it for the title track of the new album called Spirit." I'm like, "Cool." About three weeks after we spoke on the phone, we were actually at Hollywood Sound recording the basic track that day for this song. And lo and behold, I get a phone. Says, Larry, you got a phone call. I'm like, there's no cell phones unless you were FBI. And uh, said, Charles Stephanie just passed away of a heart attack. He was 45. And uh, we were all in shock. But the fact was, you know, I, the, the puzzle was solved. Three years earlier, the night I finished that track, I mean, that was just on a rose, and I got depressed. Now, it all came clear. So it was, it was a heck of a blow. But, uh, you know, we did what we had to do and finished the album, but there was absolutely a, a cloud over that entire thing that time period mm -hmm. and I believe uh, Charles was in the middle of the arrangement strings and horns the orchestra for that when he passed which was really deep that's heavy man so um, you guys soldiered on and finished absolutely. it absolutely and then I believe uh, on the next one we just went in heavy because you know time had passed and we knew what we had to do, and uh, we just went in heavy on all in all, and uh, everybody reached out deep and pulled out everything that we had learned from Charles, everything that we learned from Maurice, and stuff we had done even before we got with the band, whatever, everybody just reached in, and there you go. That's why I tell people that, uh, I mean, they're all great. It's like somebody saying, who's your favorite child? And if you're an idiot, you say, well, Scott. 
And then Larry and Luis are standing there going, really, Mom, Dad? Well, but uh, of course, Last Days and Times was awesome because that was the first one for me. Then everything was still great. Then that's the way the world, simply because number one shining star, number one pop, number one R&B, uh, huge crossover and huge success. So that was another tenth pole. And then, but uh, but then all in all, because like I said, that's the first one that we had to do without step. And uh, I mean, I was always involved on every project, but this one, you know, I did a lot of the writing, actually rehearsed and did some of the writing at my studio. Uh, and actually, I still have some of those recordings on half inch, eight track, eight tracks. Freddie was playing my little uh, $150 drum set that I bought from a pawn shop. Al Maurice Verdine would come by every day and we, we just went in on it. And then Maurice actually gave uh, myself and Verdine production assistant credits as well. So, and so with the music, the whole music, and then I, I had introduced Maurice to Eddie Del Barrio and they wrote Fantasy. So that brought a little bit more of the classical in because we already had everything else, you know. R&B, pop, jazz, funk, gospel, you name it. And so now with Eddie and the fantasy, that put some deep classical in it. And so all in all, it's absolutely one of my favorite uh, Earth and Fire pieces of all time, for, for many reasons. Like I just, uh, yeah, well, we're in total agreement, Larry. I mean, it was my favorite when it came out. I was just blown away. I mean, Serpentine Fire let it off. <laughs> just tremendous track. And um, yeah, for me, this one just closely ahead of That's the Way of the World. Um, phenomenal record. Also had uh, not only Fantasy and Jupiter, which you mentioned, but Magic Mind was a really cool track. And oh, yeah. um, Would You Mind, great slow song. Skip Scarborough. Uh, Skip Scarborough. And the interludes, uh, I'll write a song for you. I mean, gosh, it's it's, it's like, it doesn't stop. Incredible, right? And the hits just keep on coming. They do. Uh, you have a wonderful. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff, Maynard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Serpentine Fire, too, was kind of like, it was as funky as uh, Shining Star, but it was different, you know? Um, yeah, it just it was just poop hot, as they say. And uh hey. Yes. So but it so it doesn't say on there though, huh? It doesn't. You know, this this cover though too kind of uh started a new uh look for the group with its artwork. So um it's the same artist after this that did the subsequent covers, right? Oh uh, yeah, what was his name? Cause I think he passed away. Did he? Did he pass away? He's a Japanese guy, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, I believe he he passed away a few years ago. When you guys completed this, you know, of course, you were still mourning the loss of Charles. But did you feel like, wow, we had really accomplished something doing it, maybe in his honor, but without him? Absolutely. Like I said, everybody reached deep and and, and pulled out. All the stops, you know, all, like I said, all the stuff that I learned from him. Uh, just wonderful uh, gold nuggets of whiz musical wisdom uh, that I was able to uh, be blessed and get from Charles. All right, Larry, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but I'm just going to be honest. So I hope that's cool. Um, to me, 70, uh, 77. And all in all, was like the height of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Absolutely. After that, for me, especially being a high five, uh, high five, a funk fan, uh, there was a definite drop off. Um, even though it was a huge hit, to to I am for me musically. Um, so it it didn't have the same teeth and the same level of 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 soul to me um 
that the other ones did. So how do you feel about that and what changed? So on, on, on uh, I am, uh, I was interviewed by the Zimmerman twins, two, two guys that uh, worked with Philip Bailey on Philip's book. And they had posed the same question like, like you did, uh, my favorite. And again, like I told you, I said, it was like a dumb parent that says, who's your favorite child, Scott, Luis, or Larry? And they say, Scott. And then we feel like crap. But it's a little bit different musically, but not, not whatever. Um, Philip had said, and they told me that Philip had said that his favorite was I Am. And I said, now, it depends on how you're going to gauge. If you're gauging it uh, on on a monetary thing, yes. Uh, it, 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 you know, because we, we were still rising and it probably outsold all in all. All in all was 77. I said, but uh, on a musical level for me, exactly like you had said, it was a little bit more homogenized. It was a little bit more slick than I was used to. Um, and, you know, I spoke with Reese because he had a thing about, you know, we're going to cross over. I'm like, hey, dude, we crossed over a long time ago. And it and, and a lot of my um, musical friends that I had worked with and produced with, like uh, Foley, a lot of different people, even Foley later on down the road. But, you know, we spoke about it. And it was like a lot of that, that rawness, like you said, like Serpentine Fire and, and even uh, back on uh, Last Days of Time, Build Your Nest and, you know, Raw Dog. This stuff was like, uh, uh. Yeah. And uh, like I said, nothing against it. It was a great, great album, great music. But it just absolutely, we had, it had lost a lot of that Raw Dog, the, the real funk that Earth, Wind & Fire was known for. And to me, it was just a little bit overproduced. Mm -hmm. said, good music, it was. Old school Earth, Wind & Fire, it wasn't. Successful, it was. But um, I'm totally concurring with you as far as that, that's just how I felt about it. Well, good. I, You know, at the time, I looked at it and I thought, who are all these other people that I never saw working with Earth, Wind & Fire before? And, and are they the ones kind of, is that why the edge is kind of off, you know? Right. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, like you said, I mean, it sold Gangbusters and it had the hits Boogie Wonderland. Um, and uh, the ballad was a huge hit, um, After the Love Is Gone. Um, but, yeah, there wasn't that that uh, really killer funk track on this one. Like all the other ones had at least one. Right. And yeah. I remember first you know it was a the disco era and uh boogie wonderland al mckay wanted to produce was going to produce it on a band he was producing called the curtis brothers and they didn't want it <laughs> or something and so verdine and i said told reese maybe we should do it and reese was like no no because you know we don't do disco and we're like well you know this that it a lot of that is going on now but you know we just put our twist on it like we do with everything every outside song that we get put our own twist on it and we did and i didn't even realize until years years later when i just maybe four or five years ago when i started doing larry's anthology of ewf that the that I actually came up with that. And I remember John Lynn telling me after we had cut it, he said, now that's a, my favorite part of the song. You know, because I was thinking, well, maybe that's just like comes under arrangement. But then I started relearning it to do it live with my band. And I'm like, wait, that goes throughout the entire song. But the ship had sailed. And, uh, but it, it was, uh, I mean, it was a great hit, especially with with the emotions you know it was ginormous yeah and it was fun to do live 
and uh but it was it was in that same thing as let's groove now even maurice on that he's like man that that thing was something else because you know he didn't expect it to go big like that but you know i guess it was a new era and the sound of the vocoder you know michael bodiker uh, brought his vocoder in, and then so Maurice did the words, and I played the notes, and lo and behold, people fell in love with it. But that was a whole lot of people on your team that was like, "That ain't Earth, Wind, Fire." But but again, it, it, you got to admit it was a great song. Both of those were were, were great songs, and they they are absolutely classics at this point. But it it, it, it comes to a, um, a fork in the road where the hardcore EWF fans, you know, weren't having it. But again, it still is part of the legacy. Absolutely. And the, the good news about all of this is that there's nothing in, in from that from this point we're talking about even let's group back that any member of Earth and a Fire can say, man, I'm, I'm embarrassed of that. It was still all great music. And then, uh, but we'll go forward and I'll tell you about where well, I would say that. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking about uh, the emotions, I want to uh, quickly touch on, on that because that was around the time when, you know, the guys, including yourself, uh, you know, played on, on their records and worked with them and also Denise Williams. And um, who else am I forgetting? Ramsey. Ramsey Lewis, of course. Um, so, do you have any particular memories about working with with some of them and and how did you enjoy that experience oh, it was all good it was all great you know uh, the emotions i remember freddie myself Verdine, and al all flew to chicago and maurice of course and uh we cut the basic tracks for flowers for their first album well not their first album but their first album under uh arc with maurice and uh, I think it was like three days or something. We cut in like two tracks a day, two or three tracks a day. And uh, then we got our butts on that plane, came back to LA, where we stayed there and they put the vocals on with the girls. They mixed it and uh, it was great. Really, you know, back, very sweet people, very uh, humble, down to earth, and some singing mother figures. And of course, Ramsey. Uh, now, I didn't play on Sun Goddess, Ramsey version. That was written by uh, Maurice and Charles, I believe. And so, you know, there was no need for me to be on that. But uh, it was great doing it on Gratitude because I, I got to do the solo. And uh, But, you know, I, I did a lot of work for, for and with Ramsey. Uh, the first one being Tequila Mockingbird. And that that was just unbelievable. And uh, that was actually our dear brother who passed uh, last week, Mundugu. Yeah, very right. sad, yeah. Yeah, Verdine White on bass, Al McKay on guitar, and, uh, and uh, me on Rose and Ramsey on acoustic. Eddie Delvario and I did the horns. Uh, Jorge Del Barrio, his older brother, the great string arranger, did the strings, and uh, I mixed it. I, I, I did three songs. I produced uh, Tequila Mockingbird, and I wrote that solely. Uh, that old Bach magic was written by me and Eddie Del Barrio, Eddie and I. And I've never been a greedy person, so Eddie had a friend that I, I was blessed to meet, Victor Feldman, who had a song called Skipping. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, let him get some money, whatever. <laughs> and so I just did those three songs, but it just took off. I mean, for years and years and years and years, they played Tequila Mockingbird on, on, on so many sports events. Oh, and Ronnie Laws. On, on Ronnie, Saturday. yeah. yeah. Was, that was, man, that was just killer. And then, Reunited from the earlier Thunder Fire days. Huh? Oh yeah, last days in time. Yeah. And then uh and then I also produced an entire album on him 
call Routes. And then in 1987, uh, Louisa and I uh, did four songs for him on Keys to the City album, which uh, Ramsey and I wrote the title track. Louisa and I wrote a couple of them, and then Louisa did uh, the vocals on a song called Strangers, and my brother Stephen played the drums. And uh, yeah, I did, did four songs. I forgot who did the other four. And then Maurice did uh, the other side. So that, that, was, that was cool. So I always enjoyed and loved working with Ramsey because, you know, he was one of my other mentors. Because in Colorado, when growing up, uh, they didn't play some of the jazz artists that I, you know, got. Uh, they didn't play a lot of jazz artists that I didn't discover until I came to California. Like, uh, I, I knew about Ramsey because he was more mainstream. Thank God. And I knew about Herbie a little bit, but it wasn't until I came out here that I really got into uh, McCoy Tyner and uh, Wynton Kelly and, you know, all the different. And like I said, I was so blessed to uh, study about three years with uh, Walter Bishop Jr. So did you play on some of those um, emotions and, and Denise Williams hits? Because they had some tremendous tracks. I mean, um, the Flowers record, I don't remember the hits off that, but I don't know if we're, um, I can't think of the names right now, but they were great. And of course, oh, yeah. of my, you know, I can't think of it either, but it, yeah. Best of My Love was one of the catchiest tracks of the whole decade. Right. And then uh, on the Rejoice album, that was incredible. They had uh, Don't Ask My Neighbor. Don't yeah. Ask My Neighbor. I mean, yeah, those are, like I said, man, they, they are some singing girls, women. Young ladies, uh, I performed Larry's anthology at the EWF at the Will True yeah, Theater a couple years ago, and uh, they did four songs with uh, this guy that does a uh, very white imitation at then, but we had them come up and do Boogie Wonderland with us, and, and people went crazy. So, yeah, and it was it was great. Uh, on the road with them, you know, like I said, just good people. I remember one night I was sitting there, and this is when we finally had stuff like food after the gig because there was there wasn't always so. And Jeanette was sitting next to me, and they brought the food, and you know, I said a prayer, blessed the food, and I started eating. She looked at me. She said, "Hey." You don't even you don't even give your prayer time to reach heaven. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was great times, man. Both in the studio and on the road. A lot of work, but hey, nothing good comes from not working. Also, um, Nisi, this is Nisi with uh, "Free." Um, very cool track. Were you on that one? No, that was Jerry Peters played piano on that one. Okay, that was a nice one. Yeah, yeah, that was that was fun on the road with Nisi. She actually, I was telling somebody last night that uh, Nisi had told my wife Louisa that you know Larry really made that tour tolerable for us because you know we'd come to the room and we would laugh and do different stuff and have fun and, and you know because touring is tough and especially for a woman you know because women have a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, yeah. That first uh, Ronnie Lodge you were on was Fever, or were you on his first record? The first one was uh, always there or pressure but, sensitive. Now the now the first one for me, and it, his only gold album was uh, Friends and Strangers. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, it had the title hit on it. That was awesome, and I remember it because uh, it was produced by Wayne Henderson, and I remember just going in there. I had my ARP twenty six hundred. My Mini Moog, my Fender Rose, and my Steiner Parker, little garage outfit in Utah. And uh, I would just keep going, and hey, give me another track, give me another track, give me another track. And Wayne was just there, like, man, you're a genius, man, you're a genius. Said, man, thank you. Give me another track, give me another track. And, uh, it, you know, this was, was all before sequencers. So it was, it was just live or memorix. It was live. 
And then on, I remember Eloise Laws, she said, oh my God, I love that album. She said, but my favorite is Just Love. And what that was is Chris Brunt set us up. I had my friend Rose, 88, and Ronnie was you know, over there in the other room next to me. I could see him. And I do, we just played. And after Ronnie finished, that he just took a break. And again, with me and Chris, give me another track, give me another track. And I painted all those colors around it. So that was all just myself and Ronnie. But what, why did Ronnie leave Earth, Wind & Fire? He just wanted to be his own act? That, yeah. And, and him and Roland Bautista were kind of like, eh, I don't know. You know, they, they, weren't, they weren't really that sure about it. So, but uh, he did very well. Yeah. Doing well. So. All right. So um, after I Am, a couple of years went by, you guys did the... Uh, you know, some other stuff off one-offs here and there, uh, and then Faces. Was the two-record set, the big comeback in 1980 with two records, um, but um, didn't really hit like Maurice hoped it would. Um, what was your memories of this, and, and, and how would you sum up this record? Short and sweet, sweet and short, or sweet and sour. <laughs> well, that... Uh... I always tell people, number one, 1980. Okay, this was back, this is the Reagan, the Reagan years starting. And it was almost an atmosphere of, okay, look, you black people had your dashikis and your afros and, and you hippies had your love, peace, and joy and your drugs and whatever. Now, it, to me, it, it started the era of what about me? What about me? It's all about me. It's all about me. Corporate mentality and and all this. So, and there was a lot of great music on that. You know, too. Maybe maybe that was a mistake giving them too much. And again, with record companies, I don't care who you are. You're only as good as your last hit or whatever. And so there was so many things working against it at that time that I just think a lot of it got lost in the shuffle. However. In there somewhere, uh, I know we. I got a a platinum album from it. I don't know if it went. I don't think it went double platinum, but I went, I'm pretty sure it went platinum. It, I know it went gold for sure, but I think it may have went platinum. And uh, and uh, it was just it was so it was fun cutting. And we were down in Montserrat, George Martin Studio, the guy who used to produce the Beatles, beautiful studio. And, Massenburg, every every break we would take, he had a six-inch thick book about the binary code, zeros and ones. And every five-minute, two-minute, 30-minute break we would take, he was all in there. That's when he was designing, which now most every studio in the world has GML something in there, the, uh, uh, a reverb unit or a, a compressor or an EQ or something like that. Yeah, maybe not reverb, but whatever and uh, George Massenburg Laboratories. And uh, so it was, it was fun. Let Me Talk, I think. But I remember we were cutting that when David Foster had flown in and he walked in the studio and we were cutting that and he was like, oh my God, that's so funky. And, and uh, but yeah, it just, for some reason, like I said, it was changing time. And- uh, No, that was on a different record. But Let Me Talk? Changing Time was on it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, uh, Beloit Taylor got arrested, so yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a, a quandary because, it, like I said, I remember Maurice was so happy with those tracks. And I remember one night, you know, because we had uh, these big houses that we were staying in. I think there was two. Some of the people stayed there. It was me, Maurice, Freddie, and one other person. I don't know if it was Rodino, in one of these houses. And I remember one night after we recorded and had dinner, then we were listening to the stuff. Maurice like, man, all you guys, Freddie, Larry, all you said, you guys are playing. He's funny. He said, you guys are playing exactly what I would play if I played your instrument. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure it was a compliment. It's great music, so who knows? But that's when, uh, you know, after that or on that album, that's when we actually made that transition and we started getting publishing. 
hey, you know, like I said, with, with record companies, you're only as good as your last hit. So did was it a little demoralizing at the time? Uh, not for me. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Reese wasn't happy about it. And like I said, we. I know. I thought it was going to do better than it did. But uh, then, like I said, you put everything in, in perspective. Because for a, a, a record exec, their their mindset is, well, hey, what the hell? You guys had a great run. For a real artists like that, it's like whatever, dude. Like you said, 1980, I mean, that was a definite change in the culture, in music. Um, so many changes were happening then, and you guys hit a, a speed bump, uh, but you recovered pretty well. A lot of groups did not recover so well. Uh, you right. guys were resilient, and uh, I think uh, this was the next one, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, raise. And you came back with another big hit with uh, Let's Groove was on here, yeah. Yeah. Now that's when uh, Al had departed, and we, uh, Renine and I talked. So I brought uh, Roland Bautista, called him, and he was eager. He was he was cool, so he came back. You know, very great guitarist. Yeah, that that's the one that had changing times that I just mentioned. Yeah. Right, Beloy Taylor. And was again, it, that was a great album. We had the hit Let's Groove, but again. Where was the Earth, Wind, and Fire writers? Because I, I didn't write anything on that. I don't think uh, Bernie wrote anything on that. I don't think Philip wrote anything on that. I, I don't know. I'm not sure, but you know, it's just uh, Philip has a credit on um, only on I've Had Enough. That's it. Oh, he wrote the lyrics to that. Uh, Greg Filling James actually wrote the music for that. Yeah, I played on it, but uh, like I said, again, we're getting. To that point where it's like great music it is earth and fire it is but it's different it was kind of like for lack for lack of a better way to put it i would say it was kind of like uh earth wind and fire light in a way earth wind and fire light yeah 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 fewer calories but <laughs> more easily digestible it's like uh <laughs> Jay King had said one time, he said, hey, man, the real deal is let's just get down to it. Uh, Larry and Al were to Earth, Wind & Fire's music what Maurice and Philip was to the vocals of Earth, Wind & Fire. And so, you know, it's, it's like that with any intricate machine. You take out one of the key components and it's going to change. Uh, sometimes it may change for the better. Sometimes, more than likely not, especially when you're talking about a creative aggregation like that. Like they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, Larry, at that time, so the records were a little bit different at that time. Was the uh, live performance any different than it had been, uh, say, in the all-in-all -all earlier time frame? Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, we... We did one tour, and Maurice uh, brought the three female singers to fill in, you know, help strengthen the backgrounds. Uh, but again, I mean, they were lovely ladies and great singers, but it just, you know, it, the show was still awesome, though. It was an awesome show. But I remember Verdine one time going off because poor singers, you know, you, you, it's hard to sing if you can't hear yourself. It's hard to do anything if you can't hear yourself. And uh, so uh, I remember one time we were doing sound check or something, and one of the ladies had said, look, can the band come down? And Verdine just lost it. He's like, look, this ain't about you guys. This is about Earth, Wind, and Fire. They're like, OK, settle down, everyone. But uh, you know, it, was a, it had a, a different texture. You know, because uh, let's face it, on the on the recordings, yeah, yeah. Somebody said I look like Sammy Davis <laughs> Jr. On the, I don't got cross eyes. <laughs> That's a funny picture. You had to find that, didn't you? Well, you remember this? Oh yeah, 
So I think this is what I want to say this was from 78 or 79. Do you remember? Yeah. So I got this at the show. Um, but what songs were we playing? I was shattered. I got to tell you, because it was a great show. Everything was perfect. Blown away totally. But no shining star. No shining star? You guys didn't play it. Wow, I don't remember that at all. Um, it says here, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Tour of the World, 1979. Yeah, and that, that's the one where, remember, there was nine cylinders across the stage. They were hidden up under block, black cloth. And then I had created the space sounds and the rumbling and the blah, and, and they started descending, and then they touched down on the stage. And the light flickered, you could see straight through it. Then the light went out for a second, came back on, and there were nine people. And then the tubes lifted, and they had capes on. Everybody went to their respective places. And then we and then we jumped it off. And then isn't that that's the one where Verdeen levitated on the mic stand, right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I, I can see him. Yeah. And then at the very end, the gold pyramid came down from the sky, and there were six androids that have these big head helmets that look like heads and they had these big spotlights and they were shining it on the golden pyramid that was descending and they drug out a little table that was very thin with some stairs on it and at the end of getaway whatever it was or whatever we were playing uh, maurice philip andrew al johnny ralph six people from the front line would go up the little steps and open the little gold door in the pyramid and go inside then it started going up in the air and going up and then I hit the explosion and the whole thing fell apart. There was no one in it. And then the six androids that rolled out the table went to the front of the stage and took their hats off and it was Maurice and the guys got in the pyramid. And people said, I've never been to a concert where everybody walked to their car silent <laughs> because they were clapping and it was like unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, like I say, it was I incredible show. we didn't do Shining Star though. Yeah, you're uh, sure we didn't do it right. Well, I was screaming my lungs out for it the whole time, so no. Okay, then you must be sure. Wow, that is so weird. Um, All right, so, so then that so that one was the next to the last one. The last one was the all the original members minus Al that we brought Roland back was 1982, and that one was the Raster when we did Let's Groove. We closed with Let's Groove. Okay. And then this was the next power light. Uh, and so there was no more touring after that, right? No, um, I not not. I don't remember you guys coming my way after that. No, I don't think no. I, hey, I don't remember being there either. So, no, the last one was 1982. So, so that power light was after 82. It was. Um, 82 is its copyright. Wow. So what, what, what was the, was there a hit on there? Yeah, Fall in Love With Me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I heard that in, in the stove, in the store the other day. Okay, yeah. And that was the hit, right? And then, so... Again, if you look at it, there's no Earth, Wind, and Fire writers on. Well, not really. Yeah, side by side was a little bit of a hit. Which one? Side by side. Do you remember that one? Yeah. 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 It, uh, it the 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 bus had taken a left turn. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have. So there was no tour on that. And then we have the. Your favorite one. Electric unit. Hey, don't go start that rumor. Then people, so Larry, is it true you said no? <laughs> oh, no. Well, you know, hey, even though I was the youngest one in the band, well, I mean, it wasn't until Freddie came in. Freddie was a few months younger, but whatever, basically. I was the youngest one in the band, musical director at 21, and, and always known for running my mouth and telling it like a T.I. is. 
And so, yeah, I didn't get it. Uh, you know, Maurice didn't use the Phoenix horns. Matter of fact, no horns. And I think one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was, you know, because I had that little $150 drum set and I couldn't really play. And it was, you know, it's just enough to try to get by. You almost get to the end of the song and ah, go to the machine. Run back to the drums. Almost get to the end of the song. Go back to the machine. So I got a DMX, the drum machine. Big mistake. I mean, it was, it was a wonderful tool for me because I'm not a drummer. So that was alleviated all that nonsense of trying to play the drum. So I brought it and Maurice saw it, programmed a beat. He said, man, that thing started to play just like me. I'm like, it's just a, just a computer. And Verdeen had it right. I remember Verdeen walking by and he wouldn't hang. He said, man, that MF ain't got no plasma in it. I'm like, true that, true that. And so, you know, here we go, Electric Universe. We had these two guys, uh, Brian and somebody from England. And all this pop, super poppy material. And they had all, all these other keyboard players. And I, you know, at the end of the day, I think I ended up playing on them. So everything anyway, and with the other guys. And you know, there was a couple of nice stuff on there. Michelle Columbier, great composer, whatever. But all this stuff going on. And uh, so when it was done, D-O-N-E, I took it home. And I came back the next day and I told Maurice, I said, man, I took it home last night and had a few great listens. I listened up, you know, thoroughly. I looked at him, I said, good music, it is. Earth, Wind, and Fire, it ain't. And of course, he probably wasn't very happy. And then, uh, then on top of that, they spent almost a quarter of a million dollars doing that magnetic uh, video downtown at the Bradbury building utilizing the vehicles from Blade Winter and mm. you know futuristic thing and uh, it was uh, it turned out number 99 with an anchor and I believe it was in uh, that book about the music industry called Hitman you don't hold me to it but I believe there is that story in there when <laughs> Reese cussed out Walter Yetnikoff because yeah. Walter was like well, you know, you guys, you haven't had a, a major thing like, you know, so you just hold off till after the holidays, you know, with the fourth quarter, you know, if you wait, then we'll put it out. And Maurice had some choice words for him. And I guess they put it out. And again, like I said, it was number 99 with an anchor and left a lot of Earth and Fire fans bewildered, along with myself. I'm sure Redeen and yourself, <laughs> yes. So that was uh, that was about it. That was the beginning of the end as we knew it. And then in '87, Maurice, you know, put the. Well, actually, we, we had a meeting, and I remember Roland Bautista and Freddie didn't show because they didn't think it was going to be worth it. So I went, and there was Philip wasn't there. He was in Japan, and uh, you know, and Maurice just said, "Hey." Uh, Columbia doesn't want an album from us. They they want me to do my solo album. I was very supportive. I said, "Hey man, you do what you got to do," and uh, that was that was about it. Yeah, and the solo record uh, didn't make much of a ripple. But then in '87, they came back with the I think it's "Touch the World." It's at the uh, no '87. He called me, and they tried to put the band back together, and Al reneged, and just it, it wasn't right. And I was I had already been with my wife Louisa for since 83 and we had our own company and we were doing music for Japanese television really great stuff we could stay at home and we did everything from hip-hop to uh, jazz jazz hip-hop kind of to uh, Beloy Taylor did a excellent uh, Louis Armstrong and they we did quite a few songs using that and then Roland Bautista was with us so uh, and even we did one after that with the uh, just me and Louisa with Straight Ahead Opera with Louisa and our good friend Beppe Cattarelli doing uh, Straight Ahead Opera. So great because, you know, when you, you know, I remember Earth, Wind & Fire, that, oh, he does uh, Earth, Wind & Fire, or he does R&B, you know, dude, 
you know, I've been playing piano since I was two years old. So uh, we, if it's music, more than likely we can do it. Maybe some stuff I can do, but more well, most of the stuff, everything they asked for, they loved it. So we were really having a great time with that. And so it just it didn't, it wasn't right. And so uh, Maureen's finally put the band back together or put a band together. And, uh, and then leg legacy continues. And like I said, now Philip and Verdeen, they go and Ralph, they go all over the world and they got some guys and they're, you know, I've met them, I've sat in with them and they're all good, good guys, good players. John Paris, a drummer, Sweetie Pie. He actually played on a couple of tracks for Luis's new project. And uh, they go all over the world and play. But the, what are they playing? They're playing the vintage Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, none, nothing from Power Light, nothing from, you know, none of that. And uh, they go all over the world and, and get new generations and old generations and play the classics. And... Uh, Keep the legacy alive and, and go to the P.O. box and pick up a check occasionally. Yeah, yeah. Were, were there any of the things that they did from uh, System Survival on that um, that impressed you? And also, did you do anything on any of the subsequent albums? No. Like Foley said, he said, Larry was like Oscar or was he Felix Unger. Left, never to return again. You know, because I get that a lot. You know, God bless people. And Larry, man, how come you're not went back with us on the fire? And don't you? And I said, no, I have no desire to do that. I said, I love them. Redeem came to our show, and God bless him and blessed us. And him and his wife, Shelly, and Maurice's uh, uh, widow, as it were, you know, Marilyn, that had his Cabron firstborn, was there. And uh, we'd all, they, tons of people came up on the stage, Hubert Laws, and took photos after we did the gig, Larry's anthology of everything. But, and Marilyn said, she said, I, I was in tears, you know? And uh, but like I said, people went, why don't you want to be back with us? They're doing a great job of keeping the legacy alive. But for me, I just have to keep growing musically. And the main thing is I was there when I could <clears throat> look straight ahead and see Maurice. I could look over here and see Dean and Al. I could look over here and see Johnny and Andrew and the Phoenix Horns, Lewis and Don and Ron and Mike and B-Boy back there. So, you know, I, I tell people, I say, I'll tell you what, you find the gal that you thought you was in love with when you were 19 or 18. And if, <clears throat> if she's dead, resurrect her. If she's with a family, snatch her away from there, whatever. And just, just make it work. Make it work. And then you'll see me back with her to the fire. <laughs> Well, so you guys, uh, of course, did get some very special honors uh, in the subsequent years, and, and that includes the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Did, was that something that was meaningful to you, and are these awards meaningful, and what do you remember about, about that? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, no, I mean, like I tell people, <clears throat> excuse me, I said, um, I thank God Almighty for all accolades. And... Uh, it was awesome. I mean, it was 2000, and it was the first time the nine originals had been together uh, in 20, 30, 20 years or more. So that was totally awesome, and we played together, and it was great. Uh, but I tell people, <clears throat> as great as that is, and like I said, I'm, I'm not downplaying anything. That is so awesome. But the one that's one of the most coveted for me, because it's not Earth and Fire per se, it was the five key writers from within the group members, Maurice, myself, Al McKay, Verdine White, and Philip Bailey, and 2010 were inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. And that's a that's a big one. Because it's not <clears throat> again, not downplaying anything, but it's not saying that you were a member of a famous group. It says you're a songwriting mother figure. And so that one is is it's like, you know, that one. And then uh, last year or the year before now, geez, uh, the original nine again received the uh, uh, Lifetime Achievement Grammy. So there, there you have it. And again, <clears throat> Al and I and Freddie 
um, all showed up and then played with them. It was a, a PBS special. So hey, it's, it's all awesome, you know, because these are accolades that were received. Um, I call it <clears throat> the house that Jack built. You know, these are still all things that are coming in and um, given to the original members who really helped build the legacy. Congratulations on all that's so well deserved, uh, Larry. Thank you. Um, so, were you in touch much with Maurice in his later years? And you know, um, was A his was his passing bit. unexpected? And and how did that go down for you? Yeah, it was always unexpected. I mean, I knew that he was struggling. He was struggling for a long time. Um, I think even when he, you know, towards the end when we were still together, it it, it, it started, and he just kind of kept it to himself. And then uh, I know when he went back out with the new people in, in the 90s, you know, he had already been on medication, I believe. But it's always a shock. And I remember Janet Bailey, Phillips' ex-wife, had called me and told me Maurice passed this morning. You know? Matter of fact, <coughs> excuse me, um, a girlfriend of ours uh, posted uh, two days ago on the 4th, uh, Larry Dunn gave such a moving speech at Maurice's uh, memorial, and they had it playing on Facebook. And, but yeah, I mean, the last time that we really hung was when he was executive producer for Brian Culbertson's album, Bringing Back the Funk. And he had asked me uh, if I still had contact with Ronnie Laws because he wanted Ronnie to play on something for Brian. So I called Ronnie, and you know, it was, it, he, he looked great. He, doing fine then and that but damn that was already what five years ago or six years ago and uh i think that's, that's about the, that might be the last time i saw him and, and yeah that's right because he didn't he didn't come to the uh songwriters hall of fame ralph went and collected for him so it was a shock you know because i said we we did so much great things and him and I, like I said, him being a drummer, that such great sense of rhythm and great producer, and then me being a keyboard player. We were born June 10th, which is June 19th, the celebrated emancipation holiday, and he was December 19th. So we're six months to the day, not 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 the year, but to the day. And uh, we wrote some incredible music, and we performed all over the world. What a legacy! Absolutely, I'm very blessed. 